1: Welcome to Little Gold Med, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in person with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And on the line is Vanity Fair's senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. We've lost Richard this morning, but for a really good reason. He is with the New York Film Critics Circle, who are voting on their awards literally as we speak. They're tweeting them out on a Twitter feed. As you listen to this, this will all be uh, you know, old news that you'll have known for a while. But so far, Richard has helped uh, Mahershala Ali get a Best Supporting Actor award. Casey Affleck got Best Actor, Zootopia Animated Film, and uh, O.J. Made in America got Best Documentary. So the latest news from Richard's very nice critics group, and we're really excited he's a member. So cool. Uh, we can't begrudge him too much. He did offer to duck in the bathroom and call us and give us live updates. <laughs> uh, we'll just have to wait for all the good gossip. But uh, it's kind of fitting that he's with the New York Film Critics Circle right now because this is a really big week for Critics Awards and also the Gotham Awards and also whatever the National Board of Review is. You know, as soon as December starts, really, all of a sudden you get a flood of not just things that are contending to try to win an award but actual awards being handed out and it's kind of an open question how much any of this means there is pretty much no overlap between critics groups the national Board of review the gotham awards and actual academy voters and that doesn't even get into the golden globe nominations which come out in about a week and a half and uh, will be a whole nother wrinkle in this but we've gotten some sense of at least what people are talking about and a lot of movies that are going to be able to put award winner on their screeners or dvds or whatever else Let's talk about it, Mike. What, I mean, there's so many things to sort through. You know, Moonlight won a bunch of Gotham Awards. Then you have the National Board of Review, which said Manchester by the Sea was the best film. The Critics' Choice Awards nominations just came out and Hacksaw Ridge really made a big stand. I don't know. What, like, what are you taking away from this big mess of titles?
2: I'm taking away that Mahershala Ali is going to win. The Oscar yes. for Moonlight. Yep, that
1: really. That seems to
2: be a consistent thing. He, d- he did
1: not get it from National Board of Review. They went from oh, Jeff okay. Bridges in Hell or High Water. But I mean, National Board of Review. just. They have been known to go not their own way. Happen. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, uh, I don't know. I think I think Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea are clearly popping up again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Hacksaw Ridge, where a lot of us are kind of asking ourselves, do we need to take Hacksaw Ridge more seriously yeah, than we thought we needed to yeah. take it? Um, maybe, maybe not. But I think you can't really, you know, count out Milky. Gibson, the you know, a comeback story or whatever. Yeah, I mean he
1: got the best director nomination from the Critics Choice Awards, which really surprised yeah. me. Yeah. Because I think people had talked about the movie maybe and Andrew Garfield, but I don't think like Mel Gibson Best Director was something anyone <laughs> right. was really ready for.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I don't ever think you can count out Mel Gibson. You can never count out a giant movie star yep. in a non-movie star category. Yeah. That's kind of a rule.
0: And a comeback story. Right? And a
2: comeback story. And there's some no, Trump I mean, voter oh re- revenge thing going on this year. Well, isn't
1: the whole idea of Hacksaw Ridge that it's, you know, a World War II story. It's straight up morality where he is an American hero. He is rescuing America. It's, you know, it's kind of like La La Land in that it's like about things that are good and are bad and doesn't have like the thorny ethical issues that we are so faced with in real life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only problem... Well, anyway, we don't have to get into He's that.
1: Nazis. <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> the problem with movies like this and like Allied right now is you're like, should who am I rooting for in this in this <laughs> situation God. now? But anyway, I'm really happy to see Casey Affleck winning uh, yeah. for Manchester by the Sea, the film Critics Circle. I'm really happy to see Manchester and Moonlight floating up near the top along with La La Land, which has been getting lots and lots of... Uh, it feels like a three-way race a little bit Manchester, right now, La potentially, La La and Moonlight. And I know we're going to come back to Best yeah. Picture. But, yeah. th- but those feel like the movies that have the most traction of all that so That are showing far. up kind of
0: across the board.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Joanna, what are you noticing? Yeah, I agree with Mike completely. This is like the whole J.K. Simmons narrative or the Patricia Arquette narrative with Mahershala Ali. It just feels right and consistent. Uh, we were already feeling like Viola Davis was, you know, in a good place for supporting actress. Casey Affleck, I would love to see him win that Best Actor Oscar. So all these wins make me happy to know that Manchester is not too dark for people to vote for. Well, not too dark for critics who can, you know, sometimes be more able to
1: handle things than Academy voters.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, so it feels like the the acting categories are firming up except for that elusive Best Actress category that we've been talking about. And then it feels like, you know, O.J. Made in America is a lock for Best Documentary after what we've seen from these... Critics,
2: yeah, nobody seems worried about the fact that it's eight hours long or whatever. I think the fact right. that it's
1: eight hours exactly. long helps it. Maybe it's like it's so massive, you have to yeah. honor it. Like yeah. Wiener, <laughs> which is also great, is like a brisk ninety minutes, and you know maybe it like yeah. feels like less important somehow, even though it shouldn't.
0: I'm interested about in terms of animated, you know, to see Kubo win Best Animated from National Border Review is really interesting to me. I know that NBR does not have a good track record in predicting things, but uh, the animated category is one I'm really interested in watching.
1: You know, the thing that the NBR can do, even if they're not predicting things, that Kubo can now say, hey, the NBR won it and someone might be convinced to put the Kubo screener in their DVD at some point down the road. Like, you know, It all kind of helps this elusive idea of buzz, even if individually it doesn't necessarily mean anything.
2: Right. Well, how about Amy Adams winning the National Board of Review well, Best Actress? Yeah. I was just. Gonna, I like seeing that. As
1: Joanna mentioned, like Best Actress we think is going to shape up, but then Amy Adams wins for Arrival at National Board of Review. Isabel Huppert really surprised people by winning for Elle at the Gotham.
2: I could see both of them getting nominated,
1: yeah. And yeah. I mean, an arrival. Like I was going to talk about this for best picture as well. Arrival is a box office hit, and yeah. pretty much nothing else in the running is. I mean, many of these movies haven't opened yet, so it's right. not really a fair comparison. But I think when you've got Arrival as a movie, a lot of people have seen that people like Amy Adams is obviously someone people like. Like, there's a lot yeah. of strength in that. And I think we were talking just a few weeks ago about how it's like a good performance, but understated, and like it might not be here, but that really seems to be changing now.
2: Well, should we talk about Jackie then? Because I because <laughs> we, we have to talk about it at some point.
1: Well, yeah. So I finally saw. Jackie And I think you guys Talked about this You know While I was still gone And maybe litigated it then But I loved it And Mike has been Watching me With a raised eyebrow Ever since I said (laughs) that
0: Interesting
1: (laughs) It actually opens tomorrow This is more topical Than I thought It's finally opening In limited release tomorrow
2: See it It's worth seeing My biggest concern That I have Or thing that drove me crazy Is that Natalie Is doing Like in a a Very extreme Jackie Kennedy Accent Mm -hmm. And then Peter Sarsgaard Is playing RFK With her in many scenes, one on one scenes, and doing no accent.
1: Mm-hmm. But, and you know, I just. Slight accent, I
2: think, maybe. Mm,
1: I, uh, maybe, not. maybe? I, I'm no Boston accent expert.
0: Yeah, where's Richard when we need him? <laughs> you could call
2: that a small thing, but to me, it's a microcosm of a movie that doesn't know what it is because mm-hmm. that's a film wide decision. I'm sorry, you can't have one actor one be like, let's is- do like a perfect accent that is an impression of Jackie Kennedy, mm-hmm. which I think is really quite challenging, let's just put it that way, to pull she off effective. Weird
1: accent. She did not talk like anyone did before or since. Yeah,
2: and I think it's so challenging that I might have suggested just—I don't not know what it. I would have done. But yeah. but it's weird that one of them did it and the other didn't do it. And mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of symbolic of a film that just does not really hold together.
0: This reminds me of my reaction to the Silence trailer, which I felt you know i haven't seen the film yet i know several people have but richard has seen it but so he's off voting on it right now right but like you know it's a scorsese film that looks amazing this is a huge long passion project of his and then andrew garfield and adam driver opened their mouths and i'm like what are these portuguese accents that you're doing and why didn't scorsese just say let's not do accents like you don't yeah. have to do that if you you're not nailing the accent accents. don't yeah. do the accent
2: but you got to pick one for a film in my opinion yeah now well, look right, it's not exactly. a bad movie it's an interesting movie worth watching everyone should definitely check it it out. It'll play into the season. But to me, it didn't really work. And Mm -hmm. again, like I don't have a whole lot of critiques for it other than this specific one. It's I don't know. It just (laughs) felt
1: it's definitely going for something. It's the kind of thing where you have to really buy into it. It's very interior. It's really focused on her. There's maybe one scene without Natalie Portman on screen and you have to accept the score. That's kind of weird. And you have to accept the cinematography and like focusing on seemingly minor moments in her life. You know, there's this tracking shot on her listening to a musician play concert in the East Room of the White House. And I thought that stuff was totally captivating But it's a choice And it's definitely something that can just as easily alienate people
2: It felt camp to me It Mm -hmm. it devolved into camp Mm. By the time she's tearing up the east wing Listening to opera and chain smoking or whatever it was I was like I uh, I mean maybe it's just my straight guy glasses were getting foggy That
1: didn't feel camp to me It it didn't feel I mean it doesn't feel like totally realistic It felt
2: like John Waters to
1: Mm. me Joanna, have you seen Jackie? No, I have not yet. I'm oh. excited, though. What I really loved was just seeing this movie that's about a woman who's suddenly in power but not in power. And she's in the White House, but she's not in the White House. And everyone wants to defer to her, but everyone wants to steamroll her. And she's got this strength that she has to kind of choose when to show. There's a great scene where she tells off Jack Valenti, who went on to become the president of the EPAA. I totally forgot that he was Lyndon Johnson's assistant or you know some kind of role in the white house um and i just thought he analyzed that really interesting way and i tweeted this that after the election i was kind of really looking for movies about women in the world and i saw jackie 20th century women and arrival all really close together and i thought all of them really accomplished that in really different ways yeah i thought the, the way jackie was made in this like really specific focused way on her and her feelings or lack thereof or kind of, you know, going back and forth between her trying to have this strong public face for the nation and then kind of tearing apart Billy Crudup in these interview scenes, which I thought were really fun. Um, It just kind of... Well, then Billy Crudup also shows up in 20th Century Women with Jackie co-star Greta Gerwig. He's Uh,
2: great in 20th Century Women. He's great in 20th Century Women. Give me 12 of him in 20th (laughs) Century Women.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of these films are going to be part of the general best picture conversation. Well, it's an
2: interesting point you make because I saw it before the Trump victory. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca Keegan wrote a good piece for us, you know, talking to a few different filmmakers, including Jeff Nichols, who did Loving. Mm -hmm. She talked to Ben Affleck, too, about how the meaning of a film changes after an event like this. I mean, everything sort of changes. And and Loving is a film that I don't know how I would have reacted to it before, but after I found it incredibly moving and frankly disturbing because the whole point of the action in Loving is to try to get this case out of the kind of redneck racist assholes who were in charge in Virginia Mm -hmm. and to the Supreme Court. Where they would actually see that it's not okay to punish people and torment them because they are in love and they happen to be of different races. And what really worried me watching it, just not to, again, get political, is like, we're headed in the opposite direction in this country. You're going to go the other direction, if anything. I mean,
1: I think, you know, they probably made loving in an atmosphere. It was not that long after the Supreme Court case that legalized gay marriage. Like, it felt like it had this resonance. It's like, oh, you know, this is a previous victory. Now we have these other victories. And you watch it now. I mean, there's only eight people on the Supreme Court. Like, it's in such a state of disarray right. that you, you uh, kind yeah. of feels like this hearkening back to an era that we might be moving away from which makes it I think more important to watch. No, it really it feel? feels
2: like a pendulum that was at the opposite end yeah. you know yeah. and, and so I would actually be interested in seeing Jackie again mm. it's totally an interesting film yeah I didn't think it was 100% successful but I would be interested to see it in light of this mm-hmm. and I also appreciate what you're saying about a woman in power but not in power yeah. The crown also has been a great thing to watch yeah. for that reason not to keep bringing up the crown
1: well too bad we can't nominate crown for it if <laughs> hey, if OJ Made America I can win an Oscar why, <laughs> the why not crown the crown the could just be
2: best picture why not
1: yeah uh, well yeah I mean we wanted to talk about best picture in general because you know these critics awards do interesting things for KC Affleck like and Mahershala Ali but I think when you start thinking about a best picture lineup of between five and ten movies it's starting to become clear which you know maybe twelve titles might fill in that space yeah. so I put together a working list of what I thought would probably be in there that I can just rattle off and you guys can tell me if I'm crazy I mean I think there's four that we can all agree will almost certainly be on there which a lot Land, Manchester by the Sea, Arrival, and Moonlight. Does that seem fair?
2: Yeah. Yes. I do think so.
1: So from there, then you get into Fences, Jackie, Lion, which I finally saw, and I feel like, we can talk about this, I feel like people are sleeping on that movie. It's kind of yeah. the Weinstein's big hope for the season, and it's really powerful. Well,
2: when I did my Gold Derby picks and was looking at what everybody had, I realized, I need to see it. I'm going to see it this week. Yeah. It's on a lot of people's lists.
1: Yeah. And then, so you get into Hell or High Water, which again, like, showed up in a big way on the Critics' Choice Awards, Hacks Ridge I, as well. That,
2: I do not think Hell or High Water will be a best picture nominee i have a really gonna hard come time. right down and say it, I, it
0: I it's not good enough but that might be a trump voter movie oh <laughs> boy i don't, oh like, don't, don't want to keep but like my dad is a trump voter will not stop talking about how much he loved Heller high water really the people who loved Heller high water like loved it
2: because jeff so. bridges is like making fun of his native american partner what's the what's the appeal
0: um the c- corruption of the banks and how it's keeping down the middle class american right right yeah yeah, I mean, to Heller Highwater's credit, it's a kind of a modern
1: day Western, but it has a lot on its mind in terms of like modern financial insecurity, which, you know, a lot of
0: people will argue is what the election was about. So, I know, Joanna, you have a point. I didn't like it, but, you know, I have to respect how often it keeps coming up with other people that I talk to, so yeah. who don't have my interests, who don't like the gay black movie Moonlight that I loved, you know? Well, so. you know what?
2: Let's, that's a valid point. Let's try to stay out of the bubble. Yeah, You know, it, it, Although, it did not serve as well predicting, uh, I know, but it's a different kind of, bubble yeah academy true.
1: voters are in their own bubble which is slightly and not different from-
2: many of them are working class
1: it, yeah the academy voter right. bubble is more like our bubble than the yeah. west texas bubble for
2: well jeff wells has hell or high water at number five well and then. he's the only probable trump voter i can think of in <laughs> this whole world so he's, he <laughs> there you go
1: okay so beyond that this kind of in the list on maybe more on the fringes silence which has screened the reviews or not yet but it sounds more like an art Experiment than, you know, maybe like The Revenant, something that would pop up and take over the Oscar race. Uh, 20th Century Women, which we- I do think with
2: Silence, you just get this kind of like, it's Marty. It's Marty's movie.
1: Yeah, yeah you know yeah, you got it, right? it almost like...
2: just gets in although you could have said that about Warren Beatty I mean it depends mm. if it doesn't have a big box office thing but people kind of respect it then yeah. I think it's got a relatively easy path it just, in.
1: you know it's a long movie about monks in Japan and people keep thinking it's boring
2: but it's the kind of film that you don't see and you just put on a list mm. to seem yeah. smart and oh because it's Marty sorry but that's how yeah. I, I do believe this happens let's face it
1: although I do I wonder if like Moonlight is the movie or Manchester even you know that's a movie sure. that like you know people like, and you want to
0: put on there. Yeah, I'm trying to see the last Marty movie that didn't get nominated for a Best Picture. Ooh, I would like to know that. Shutter Island, right? Like,
1: yeah, I is, think that that's the, is that the last, the last one? one? But Shutter
0: Island was yeah. a huge hit. He kind of did the uh, the other
1: side of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But like even before Shutter Island, Departed, The Aviator, Gangs of New York, it feels like you know if it's Marty, you have to do it.
2: When he's in classy mode, I mean Shutter Island is more like pulp mode mm-hmm. for him,
0: right? When right. he's
2: in classy mode, it's hard to deny. The yeah. Scorsese No
1: he's been on a real And he
2: went and met run. With the Pope And all, you know He's just like <laughs> Pulling all the wine oh, streams. Meeting tricks. with
1: the Pope Is my favorite Oscar campaign Yeah yeah
2: like, yeah You they, gotta meet with the Pope At least once They if treat you want the Pope Like he's an history.
1: academy voter And I guess it works Because people keep doing it Although If you
2: could snot cry With the Pope <laughs> You would win
1: Angelina did it With Unbroken And that didn't go anywhere So it's not a guarantee <laughs> um, I can't remember If I mentioned fences earlier I, I, I don't think that's Necessarily a sure bet But it's uh, really close to it I think
2: Yeah Yeah. And we were gushing about it, Richard and I, Mm -hmm. gushing pretty hard last week. Um, Other people are now seeing it in in feeling a little less special to be there because they're not the first or second round. (laughs) Because they didn't
1: see it with Denzel on the roof.
2: Right. And they're saying, you know, wait a minute, this is a play. I saw Guy Lodge gave it a B minus and said something like the camera does not have the intensity of the actors.
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty fair.
2: So I think we'll see how Fences kind of takes. Yeah. I-, I thought it was incredibly moving and relevant in light of all the crazy things happening in our world, but it is very theatrical versus filmic. So we'll see how that but works. But my
0: sense is that, I mean, obviously we're talking about Best Picture right now, but my sense is that nobody is ramming down praise of performances. No. Like the Viola Davis narrative isn't changing. The, the uh, Best yeah. Picture narrative might be. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah.
1: I was just going to sit here and say that uh, Doubt, which is the other play on screen that I could think of, made it into the last group of five Best Picture nominees, but it didn't. Mm. All the actors were nominated, but Doubt was not, so there might be precedent. I think Viola Davis and Denzel Washington are easily, you know, Viola Davis we all think is going to win, but yeah. yeah, I think the movie might have more of a challenge than I figured. Okay, so just to run down the rest of the list, 20th Century Women, Sully, definitely still in there, Hidden Figures. My dad
2: loves Sully, I can tell you <sighs> every, that. My
1: dad is, I have a <laughs> Sully hat on my desk that my dad is very excited to get, he's going to get for Christmas. <laughs> (laughs) Hidden Figures, which I think we talked about briefly last week. Loving, which Critics' Choice included in the Best Picture lineup, I was glad to see, although it still feels like a real underdog. And then on Patriot's Day, which premiered at the AFI Fest in LA and is keeping a pretty quiet profile, but you know, that American sniper patriotic kind of action-y movie. It's got Mark Wahlberg in it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like something we can count out either.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The only thing I would add to your amazing list is like, I was looking at it and then I was looking at sort of the top box office earners of the year. Cause Mm -hmm. I, you know, last year Mad Max snuck in. I feel like they sometimes try to put in a movie that was actually also really popular. The Martian too. Like Sully is the closest, but still pretty low. So I was wondering if Zootopia might not even get in there. It's obviously going to be an animated, but like, like that that is just like sort of universally beloved and made so much money i don't know that's my that's my wild card that i'm going to throw in the deck yeah you know it's interesting because
1: when they first expanded the best picture lineup it seemed like it was basically to include pixar movies they always had a slot in there and it's been since Toy Story 3, I think that an animated movie has made it into Best Picture. I guess The Life of Pi, if you really want to count that, but I wouldn't do that. So the idea that you can get an animated film into Best Picture, it really flourished for a while there and it uh, has gone away. So I'd be really interested to see if they could make a case for Zootopia. I mean, I agree. That was that's an incredibly well-reviewed movie that actually made money, which they are really lacking in this year's race. They right, really right. are.
2: When you look at the top box office, it's just like staggering.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's Batman
2: their... v Superman. I, I do think could get in there.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. Well, mm-hmm. especially with uh, uh, the producer student can going to the White House. <laughs> I think that's the argument for Arrival as well, which is at sixty four million and counting. You know, it's made more than Ice Age Collision Course. It's what qualifies as a hit in this year's
0: crop. But it's still like forty two. You know, Sully at least is yeah. nineteen on the top list. But when you look at like the top ten, it's like uh, the Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> I, <don't> know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, do about, we... how about an Oscar nomina- nomination for well, Deadpool? What about Why Fantastic
2: Beasts? Is there any chance of that? I just feel not like. Not enough millennials.
0: I think for like visual
1: effects, but not in Best Picture. Yeah. I mean, do we think there's a chance that like La La Land becomes the, you know, Christmas season movie that everyone goes to see? It seems like every year there's something that emerges very late in the year that suddenly becomes a big hit and part of the conversation. You know, I think Star Wars came very close to a Best Picture nomination last year. La La Land isn't going to make that kind of money, obviously, but. I don't see why La La Land couldn't be bigger than Arrival or Sully.
0: Yeah. It could zoom up the charts to like number 18. (laughs) Beat out The Legend of Tarzan for the number 18. I mean, guys, The Revenant
1: made $183 million domestic. Oh, my God. What weird things happen because you stop paying attention at the end of the year, and then these movies just keep, these Oscar movies make a lot of money in January and February, and all of a sudden you've got American Sniper as the biggest movie of 2013. I think La La Land, I think
2: it's possible. I I mean, it could also make nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's possible. If it catches on People like Ryan Gosling I think people like Emma Stone And there's a reason to go see it I mean, The Revenant is that kind of like, you got to see it. It's this crazy experience. Yeah. You know, watch that bear fight. This <laughs> one is the other sort of side of the spectrum. But, you know, there's like, a, you got to see this, I don't know, song and dance numbers. It would be surprising, but wonderful.
1: Yeah. So last year we had, you know, the big short Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant, all like pretty solid box office hits. Then the year before that, it was really just American Sniper and then a bunch of movies that people saw but like we're not gigantic hits. is there any
2: time left for a big short complete come out of nowhere <laughs> film that takes us off surprise i by guess surprise? it's patriots I
1: mean, day
2: patriots day What about Ben Affleck's movie?
1: Yeah, Live by Night. It's Screen. That's where Rebecca Keegan got that quote from Ben Affleck for the piece that she wrote.
0: I guess if I feel like if either of those were really going to take everyone by surprise, we'd be hearing more about them by now. Yeah, You're right, Katie, that Arrival is the closest that we get, because out of these Critics' Choice Awards, the narrative is about La La Land, which nobody has seen yet, right? Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea. Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea are like... 123 and like 189 in the box, like, n- like yeah. very few people have seen those two movies. Hopefully with the awards buzz, more people will see them. They're fabulous movies, but you know, the Oscars doesn't want, I think doesn't want the reputation for being like so niche and elite that nobody wants to watch it because they haven't seen the movies that they're talking
2: well, about. And at the end of the day, it's a trade organization mm-hmm. whose goal is to like have a healthy box office. They do want right. to magnify yeah. movies that make money not just have it be turned into art. Like there's plenty of critic groups that can do the art.
1: Yeah. Even if you get Best Picture nominations for things like Moonlight if nobody watches the Oscars does that then hurt right. the prospect of movies like that to get nominated next time. You know looking at, looking at last year like Room I think was kind of the underdog in last year's Best Picture lineup. It made $14 million which is really good for a tiny little movie release but for... Yeah. Something that's going to be standing there shoulder to shoulder with Mad Max is, uh, you know, maybe people want to move away from that. It's hard to know
2: in spite of all that for my first round of picks on Gold Derby because I still haven't seen some things and there's some movies that I know are going to probably get nominated but I don't like them uh, I was left with a few extra spots and I threw L Captain Fantastic and The Lobster on there hey. just to try and just remind people that those movies came out this year
0: yeah I love your love for Captain Fantastic it makes me really happy every time
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like it
1: I've been stumping hard for a bigger splash and I really feel like Ray Fiennes' Oscar campaign should be happening it isn't for some reason and I don't even think they sent out screeners of it but that's my oddball choice that I want to fight for
2: I mean now's the time
1: before we get into actually predicting the best picture winner which we were going to do to wrap things up I wanted to give room for you know something for whatever we've seen that we want to everyone to talk more about Mike do you feel like yours is Captain Fantastic
2: yeah I think that is mine that and the lobster and L. <laughs> you know, I've already talked a lot about Captain Fantastic, so we don't have to go into it. And Lobster, L, I do think Isabelle Puig is likely to get nominated I for it. That is a dark, freaky movie. Yeah, but it's really very, very good. I think, and just fascinating and disturbing. So that I like films like that. Joanna, what
1: uh, <laughs> what do you want people to pay attention to or stump for?
0: This isn't in for the Best Picture category, but you sent this prompt out, and I was thinking about it, and I'm going to go with The Edge of Seventeen, mm. which I think should get a screenplay nomination because if Juno can win an Oscar for screenplay, this is a teen movie that really, really captures the way that kids actually talk, which Juno did not, obviously. And I think it's a really underrated, fantastic film. You know, Richard gave it a glowing, smashing review on Vanity Fair, but I think more people should be talking about it. It's a really lovely film, not a Best Picture nominee, but certainly screenplay, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a great space for this. I was going to talk about Loving, which we
1: got into a little bit earlier and I agree with basically everything Mike said. But I also think that Joel Edgerton is really great in it. He and, is. And Ruth Negga is the one that everyone's talking about, I think, because she's like an exciting ingenue. She's breaking out. She was on Preacher earlier this year. She's obviously got a big career ahead of her. And Joel Edgerton's been around for a while. And he's doing kind of the taciturn man performance thing. But he's just got this great, you know, this, his face just does a lot of work of this guy who doesn't want to talk a lot. You know, this couple made history at the Supreme Court, but they didn't go to watch the case be argued in the Supreme Court. They just wanted to stay home on their farmhouse. And I think Joel Edgerton captures so much of that while making him a real human. yeah, Not just like a stereotype of like a rural white guy who just wants to be left alone, but uh, he, he captures so much real feeling in this guy who doesn't actually say much. I was really impressed. Well,
2: and I tell you, the more you know about Joel Edgerton, the more impressive this performance is.
1: What's your Joel Edgerton story? It sounds like you. I mean, you no. Know,
2: in other one. words, like, ha- first of all, having seen him in a bunch of stuff, but second yeah. of all, having met him a few times because he always comes through the portrait studios that we do at the film festivals, and he came to our can party last year. Joel Edgerton's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. He is like it's a big, it's like a
1: body Australian, Australian right? yeah.
2: personality, and for him to play this incredibly clenched, convincing, you know, rural guy who's caught in this very uh, complicated situation and is just trying to protect... His family, by the way. I mean, that's another thing that's resonant in this time period. I think, sadly, is the idea of trying to protect your family from a hostile <laughs> <laughs> government. Yeah. I mean, you know, this stuff is real. Yeah. And he plays it so well, but it's so different from who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a really good performance. And the teeth, holy smokes!
1: Yeah, he was also great in uh, Midnight Special, the other movie that Jeff yes. Nichols directed this year. Yeah. I think he and Michael, Michael Sh- Shannon are yeah. both. Involved. Michael Shannon is, I think, wonderful in that he was on my Critics Choice ballot for Best Actor. Um, yeah. They, they both were, but yeah. They've uh,
0: they all had quite a year together. You want to talk about accent work, Mike? Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega both don't take a step wrong, I think, in loving. So yeah. I don't know why that matters to me. It just does because it doesn't, like, it takes you out of the performance yep. if, like, these vowels are falling flat and you're just like, yeah, but Ruth Nega is British and Joel Edgerton, who's Australian, are deeply convincing here. So. While
1: we're talking about accents, and this is a little bit of a digression, but is Forrest Whitaker doing an accent in arrival or. Yes. I think he
0: is. What I is think he, so. <laughs> where is, is he, I think he was doing like Baltimore, I want to say something like that. I it's, felt like it kind of odd. came
1: in and out and it, it doesn't, I, I really liked Arrival doesn't really take away from it for me, but it definitely, it was a mystery <laughs> that I was there, trying to you're, solve. You're
2: right. There is a weird sort of yeah subtle accent going on with <laughs> Forrest Whitaker.
1: Okay. So let's wrap up our best picture conversation by going big before we go home and just predicting what's going to win best picture, which in the first week of December, you're usually wrong. So it's uh, still a fun and games with no pressure. Uh,
0: Joanna, why don't you go first? Okay. So my, my pick is informed by what we've seen this narrative out of the early critics uh, awards. And it's that I think Mahershala Ali is going to win, you know, an acting award for Moonlight and Casey Affleck is going to win an acting award for Manchester by the Sea. I'm not sure about the other one. So I would say, I think La La Land will win best picture.
1: So yeah. I think but you're not
0: sure if Emma Stone will win along with it is that the Like I said I still don't know about that category but I feel like they're going to give Manchester and Moonlight a nod via acting and then give yeah. the real big push to La La Land. Can I just co-sign on what Joanna said? I feel like she's kind of yeah, exactly I think right. we all
2: agree.
1: Maybe we know more than we think. I think Mike, you tweeted someone did a thread of the New York Times writing about the Oscar race in the <laughs> yeah. first week of December for the last five years. So it was like unlike most years, a frontrunner has not emerged, and yeah. <laughs> for the last five years, they said the exact same thing. And yeah. we have all done this. This is not just the New York Times, but
2: yeah. I, I mean, I think the only giant variable with this is if the movie flops, it will mm. that will cut into like Moonlight actually has done well right in its per theater averages but nobody expects Moonlight to be a big hit. Yeah. I think La La Land, part of what's built into the idea of it being Best Picture is that it will be a crowd pleaser. big old crowd pleaser. So if people kind of, if, if somehow people were to go and just be like, meh, I don't like this, <laughs> you know, then I don't think it would win. But if it connects with an audience, it doesn't have to become number 18 on the box office list for the year. Yeah. But if it connects with right. an audience and becomes a thing that people are excited about, I think it will win because it's delightful and it's inventive and it's a nice escape from a weird year and uh I think it'll win.
1: I just looked at the artist it made 44 million domestic. That seems like The artist. Yeah, which won best picture I and mean, you yeah. know it's a musical kind yes. of.
2: Yeah, that you kind <laughs> of had to see. I mean, yeah. this one the Cell, is a little bit less obvious. The artist was like it's a silent movie. This one is a little bit more complicated to explain, but it's not really. It's, a, it's musical. a musical.
1: Yeah, with cute actors who you like.
2: Yeah. In the real L.A. That's what I think is so cool about it. If you've been to like the real L.A. and you know people are struggling actors or whatever, like this is what it looks like.
1: Yeah. It's not like strip malls and tr- it's, there's one very memorable traffic jam, but it's a very cute traffic jam. Like it's an it's not yes. overly cute. It's not quite 500 days of summer where it's so picturesque, but it's, uh, it's authentic
0: while also looking a little bit nicer than like your crappy condo. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part for real L.A. is when Emma Stone's Walking and stumbles upon the jazz club, but she's like walking through a street where there's just like random cars. You know, it's not fairy tale. This is a girl in her heels who has to get home and it's yes. impossible. So, from my bubble, which we talked about getting out of our bubbles, but from my bubble, La La Land is the number one most anticipated movie of December for people I know who haven't had advanced screenings are most excited about La La Land. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Just a side note over Thanksgiving, I happened to watch Funny Face. With Audrey Hepburn, oh, just was on TV, yeah. and they did this same thing in Paris. They have all these song and dance numbers that were very clearly shot in real Paris, yeah. Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn running around doing these kind of goofy numbers, and then of course they create like a totally weird fake Bohemian bar that's probably similar to the one in La La Land. But the Jazz uh, Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's funny. There is a certain kind of parallel between the two films. I think La La Land's a little better at the end of the day. <laughs>
0: Well, that's because Emma Stone can sing and Audrey Hepburn, bless her, cannot, so. <laughs> but when she's dubbed, she's Audrey Hepburn sounded
2: fantastic. <laughs> Fred Astaire can dance a little better than Ryan Gosling, I will, I will throw that I think out.
1: Just Ryan, a smidge. Oh, just, just throw out one crazy La La Land theory because I think I agree with all of this. So Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling were together in Crazy Stupid Love, which I think is where everyone started being like, put them in a movie together. And that yeah. movie's on cable all the time ah, and I think yeah. in terms of making something a hit you know crazy stupid love was a decent sized hit but it is on television constantly and I right. think there is a fan base for the two of them that could drive this movie in terms of box office that might or might not work I love it voters but the cable
0: movie I know people who watch just the 20 minutes of that film that is the Ryan Gosling yes. Emma Stone Absolutely. but th- that being said what was it gangster squad yes, Isn't that which the one that was- they were in together right after was just miserably yeah. flopped so but like this yeah. was, but Maybe you know not it's enough like, time. do you like
1: that fine. scene where they're in his house and they do the dirty dancing lift okay here's a All whole right. movie of them dancing <laughs> together it's like yeah. so Very playing true. right into that so All right,
2: watch out jungle book
1: yeah yeah rogue <laughs> one is gonna have a hard time fending off la la land at the box office <laughs> Okay, I think that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening, and please rate and review us on iTunes if you can. It's a great time to get new listeners. We have so many awards to go through. We can help you sort through all of it. Uh, You can find us all at VanityFair.com, and on Twitter, we're all at Men, and I'm at Katie Rich, Joanna, Joe this, and Mike.
2: Mike underscore Hogan.
1: This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner, and thanks to Laura Mayer and Annie Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best description of 2016 thus far goes to Mike Hogan.
2: It devolved into camp.